Our reality is but a dimension, the uppermost layer in a tower of mirrors. Beneath it are the many reflections cast by our reality, similar but not entirely the same. A staggering number of worlds, lands beneath a dark sun, a world of three moons forsaken by the gods, realms long forgotten, and countless thousands more. You are about to enter one such reflection, a world still recovering from a magical apocalypse, a place where magic is regulated, goblins trade their wares throughout the lands, and the north is dominated by giants. Today, the sun rises over Hymirin and the Wilderin. This is An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. And now, Chapter 16 of An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. You cook the rabbit earring? I skin it, gut it, and cook it. I'm going to start curing the uh, rabbit skin. That'll take more than a short rest. Yeah, that's okay. I'm only going to start. Well, considering the time I've been gone, it's been a lot longer than a short rest. That's true, too. Adri's mid-kata. So you have an afternoon meal, and when that's done, you break camp and continue. The whole time that you were in the camp, the child, Acorn, has been standing in the brook. When she sees you break camp, she steps out of the brook, heckle in hand, looks at Earring. Earring nods. Are you full? She nods. Good. I rubbed my cheek that got slapped. Just that kick back. <laughs> Never before have you seen someone of such beauty. Never before, though, have you seen someone as angry as she was. <laughs> He'll never wash that cheek again. No, I will wash that cheek. It's just shame right now. <laughs> Utter, complete shame. I call myself a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and start heading east again. I call myself a guardian of the wilderness. <sighs> you travel a while longer and come to an area with old gnarled oak trees that creak and groan in a slight breeze. Their limbs are all twisted together to form a dense canopy. It's it's almost like night in this area. Only stray golden beams reach the forest floor of moss-covered rocks and roots. Toadstools with bright red caps stand proudly among the dead leaves, while shelf mushrooms form steps up and trunks and fallen logs. The place smells of earth, rotting wood, decomposing leaves, and fungus. There is a gentle thrum in the air. Are the trees talking? Can I identify if any of these mushrooms are edible? Give me a survival roll. 16. Yeah, you can pick out a few that, you know, are definitely edible that you've eaten before. I will harvest the ones that I know are edible. So Earring harvests quite a few mushrooms from the area. Truffle pig. Did you ask them if they minded just in case? You know, if one looked up and went, uh, yes, I mind. We're an enchanted forest. I just want you to be careful. Sorry, I keep thinking with my stomach and not, like, the reality of the situation. I I get it. Anything but the good berries. Just stay away from the toadstools. Some of the smaller fae use those for houses. And there's nothing wrong with good berries. There are with yours. They're delightful. I give you another one. Thanks. Madry's got juice running down his chin and his shell. So you go on for a while, and the trees are linked much in the same way they were in the area you harvested the mushrooms in and there's still that thrum in the air do we see like the tops of the trees shaking or is there a, a vibration i'm gonna go up to a tree and put a hand on it and see if I, I feel it there is a gentle vibration that you can feel when you put your hand upon the tree when you look up the branches are they're intertwined it 
looks like they've reached out to one another, almost like they're grasping hands. I look up at the tree. I apologize for our intrusion. We mean you no harm. Though we carry steel, we do not plan on using it on anything living like plants. Hopefully you will tolerate our passage. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but from what we've seen up to this point, it doesn't hurt. That was unexpected coming from the soldier. You would expect that coming from the druid. (laughs) Or the ranger. (laughs) The druid. The holy nature man. The the rangers made enough mistakes this week. (laughs) Forgive those two. They know not what they do. And I really mean that. And I'm going to continue walking. (laughs) Long way proceeds into the forest. The forest is very much the same. For the next several hours, intertwined trees, a thrum in the air, and soon the forest opens up into a sprawling area of green. You can see the telltale signs of a once very prominent city. Most of the city has fallen to decay and ruin and has been overtaken by the forest. There is one area in the center of the city that you can see that still stands somewhat proudly, and you think that might be the Temple of Shindralar. This temple, once home to the people of Leaf and Song, lies silent now. No sounds of children playing, no bustle of commerce, no music from flutes or lyrical fey voices. Plants and trees, once tenderly cared for, now grow wild along the abandoned structure of this empty place. The temple is quite large. It's sprawling. In the very center of an area outlined with broken walls, there is a a massive stone disc. Tall bushes, small trees, large trees and mushrooms dot the area inside and outside of the temple. I would suggest before we travel into the city proper, it's getting a little later in the day. We take refuge along the edge of the forest and go in first thing in the morning. Sounds like a good idea. And although we are probably being watched by Lady in White, knows what else we're being watched by and we were told that there are those that may not appreciate us being here so watches definitely need to be in place this evening take the same watches that we have been right along agreed don't disappear dash you're on watch with me no problem thank you maggie did mention undead yes she did she did yes she did she did i remember things that scare me (laughs) those are probably the best to remember well no we won't go into it again we should be remembering. So you begin to set up camp, set up your tents, build a fire, begin to gather wood for the remainder of the evening. <laughs> Dead fallen wood only. Do you mention that to the guy with the big axe across his back? <laughs> <laughs> I will mention to the whole party who's going out to go, I'm going to go collect wood. Dead fallen wood only, please. You find an area suitable enough for, for your camp, though it's certainly not ideal, but it does provide or should provide you with some protection from the elements. While you're gathering wood, stoking the fire, and preparing your evening meal, thunder begins to roll in. A light rain begins to fall. I'm going to try to set up a cover over the fire, and I'm going to put a pot over the fire, and using the mushrooms and some of the rations, collected rations from everyone, make up mushroom and meat stew. Earring begins cooking. Soon, you are under a canopy a dark, starless night with the rain growing in intensity. Reach in my pack and pull out my oiled cloak, throw it about my shoulders, 
while the meal's being prepared, I'm going to walk a perimeter just to see if I can spot potential areas of cover, maybe game trails, just soldiering in general. And when the meal's ready, I'll eat, let them know what I've seen for areas that they might want to watch for, you know, crops of trees or a large rock outcropping that things can hide behind. And then I'm going to crawl into my, my cloak and go to sleep at the base of a tree. The forest and the city just outside the forest provides numerous opportunities for hiding places for any number of things. More worried about our immediate vicinity. But in your area, the same is true. I mean, it mm-hmm. is a dense forest, large, massive even fallen logs, small cave-like structures in boulders and the such are plentiful in this area. Just going to point them out. While, uh, and then go to bed. While Earring is preparing food, Madri will get his tent set up and everything and then steps out into the rain, removes his vest, tucks that into his tent, and then just kind of stands under the rain, finds a br- uh, bush off to the side and scrubs his shell a little bit. <laughs> It just kind of enjoys the water pouring over him and cleans himself up a little bit, enjoying the rain. As the rain happens, Earring will put his oiled cloak on, offer an oiled cloak to the child, see if she wants it. She declines and stands instead in the rain with her legs and arms outstretched. I'll pack her cloak away. Uh, Mokui's going to, since I hope or I assume we're getting a, a long rest, I'm going to cast Dark Vision on Dash and Magic. So you guys have eight hours of dark vision. Thank you. And your watches are the same as before. Happy with Madri. First watch, child and earring on the second watch. Myself and Dash on the third. You begin your watch, Madri and Okui. It is pitch black. The dense canopy, the rain, there's no stars in the sky with the clouds. Occasionally, the twin moons will peek out, but very rarely. And only, only for a moment before cloud cover rolls back in. Your watch goes uneventfully and you wake Earring and the child. Earring wakes up with a yawn and makes his way outside the tent, finds a good position, makes sure the child is in a good position, and sets about their watch. An hour, perhaps more, into your watch, you're looking out over the city towards the temple. The child seems to be heavily focused on the temple. And then, at first, they seem to be glimmers in the forest. Stray moonbeams may be catching the leaves, but the pale radiance is something more. Several orbs of spectral light rise from the ground in the city and in the temple and in parts of the forest, bringing a ghostly whispers with them. The temperature drops. You can see your breath. Mist forms on the grassy surface amid the bushes and brambles and dark forms of trees. The orbs coalesce to wispy, luminous, humanoid shapes that float in the air, muttering and moaning. How far away? The city is perhaps a hundred yards away. The temple even deeper into the city, in the very center. But the forest seems to have these luminous shapes in it as well. You can't really gauge the distance of the closest ones because you will catch flickers of light among the trees, which are fairly densely packed. None of them seem to have approached the camp yet. I will position myself in the middle of the camp, keeping watch of these orbs, these luminescent figures, and hold my position with a, with a hand on the battle axe. Should they approach, the battle axe's magic will wake everyone if it becomes dangerous. You stand for a moment. All you can hear is, is your breathing 
and the moans in the distance. And then more of those orbs begin to coalesce in the forest around you, some very, very near. There is a, a wave of energy that pulses from your battle axe, washing over the tents that your companions are sleeping in. It ruffles the hide and causes the flaps to begin to move loudly. The wave of energy washes over you, those of you that are sleeping. There is a familiar feeling to it, having experienced the warning from Earring's axe before you abruptly sit up in your tents. When you sit up, you begin to hear several hundreds, perhaps, of moans muttering in a strange language. Grab whatever you need. I think we need to get into this city. There's too many. Into the city or out of the city? And we're not in the city. We're in the forest right now. The city's, I think, the only way we can go. All right. I've been at the base of a tree crouched with my cloak over me sleeping, so I'll just stand up, shake off, pull my cloak off, put my pack on, put the cloak back on, and I'm ready. Leaving the tent. Don't even care. We can come back for the tents. Yep. So everybody awake, you run into the city. So you crash through the forest. The moaning and the muttering becomes louder. You break into the clearing that the city lies in. And there's more of those orbs, coalesced, wispy figures in the city. It seems you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Have we been accosted by any of these yet, Hearing? Has, has any come close? And I mean, we were warned that they were there, but is the warning contingent on ill thoughts to us? I don't know if these are dangerous, but given the fact that we were warned of the undead Fair in enough. the city. And if necessary, let's see if we can find a high spot. If we see a structure that seems sound enough, not that it's going to protect us anymore, but maybe they'll just pass. The highest point in the city is where the temple lies. And it's not very high, but it, it is on what looks like a mound. Well, that's our, our target, at least we're our perceived target anyways. And we're on the move, so let's move there. Might as well. Agreed. What's your marching order? I'll take lead. Your running order? <laughs> I still have dark vision. I'll take the back. Earring. <laughs> We'll take the middle with the child behind. Actually, the child in front. So the only person who doesn't have dark vision is Mokwe, right? Yep. And I'll follow Earring. Cash will be running whenever I can in order to get on top of uh, Madri. You easily go astride Madri. The six of you make a mad dash for the city. Once you enter the city, the, the things, these undead spectral things, begin to converge on you. The mound that the temple rests upon is still quite a distance away. Are you moving at your normal speed? Are you dashing? Um, I plan on dashing. I can see far enough, and now that most of the group has dark vision, as long as Mokwe stays within range and we can corral him back in, I will lead our way through. I have not yet drawn my weapons. I'm trying to hold that off until the last possible moment. I have no idea if I can affect them, but a an act of aggression may in turn provoke an act of aggression. So I'm hoping they might just come up, check stuff out, and go, oh, um, scare you away, as opposed to actually do something untoward to us. But I'm going to try to find the path of least resistance and zigzag our way towards the temple. Same. So as you race towards the temple, Mokwe, you find it difficult. Okay. Not being able to see where you're going. There's several piles of rubble and roots from trees, and you trip often. At one point, the child wheels around and grabs you by one of your the fin flaps where a person's ears would be and hoists you up to the ground. And holding on to it, she drags you along by 
that ear fin like structure on the side of your head. <laughs> Ouch. You make a run, spectral forms trailing behind you towards the temple, lungs burning, muscles stinging, and make it to the top of the rise. You go through the temple entrance. We interrupt this podcast of an acorn journey to talk about our sponsor. You're a new DM who wants to jump behind the screen. Maybe you've been volunteered by your gaming group, but aren't quite ready. You've been watching people play games online or on podcasts, and you're thinking to yourself, where do they come up with all that descriptive narrative? There's no way I can do that. Well, don't worry. We've got a solution for you. What if I were to tell you that I can put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk while you're prepping your game? Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we can do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there. And there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy, and pasteable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. Confidently read these narratives aloud in your campaign and impress noob and veteran gamer alike. And the best thing about it is, the library of narratives is constantly growing, and it's affordable. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash dmd. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD at checkout to try Describe for two weeks for free. Links will be in the show notes. And now, back to an acorn's journey, a DMD story. As you enter the temple and are atop this rise, it affords you an opportunity to see the sprawling city around you. It's not in as good condition as the temple. Many walls are no longer standing. They're merely piles of rubble that nature has overtaken. When you enter the center of the temple, you notice from all directions these shapes beginning to creep up the rise towards you. Are there any in the temple proper? Not yet. You all notice a rumbling or um, guttural just chanting kind of sound coming from Madri as soon as he's within 10 feet of the temple. He just feels a sense of reverence towards this temple and will continue his uh, chant as he steps through the entrance of the temple. I didn't know turtles could purr. Good turtle. <laughs> Good turtle. With all of you in the temple, you stand in a group and these things begin to drift through the walls, through the trees, and soon you find yourself in a ring. So you find yourself surrounded by these spectral beings. There is a unified howl that comes from them, high-pitched, painful to the ears. One swoops over. Dash, you're on top of Madri's shell. That is correct. One of them swoops over and attacks Dash. As the thing moves in, it raises a pale gray bony arm. At the end, there's a hand with several black claws on it. It swipes at you. When it swipes, it becomes corporeal. 18 hit? Yes. Thing rakes across your back, tearing at you. 16 hit? Yes. For two attacks, it rakes at you astride Madri's back. You take 11 points of damage. Roll an acrobatics athletics for me. Athletics? With bonuses, a 10. You fall from Madri's back, lying prone, and when you hit the ground, there is a unified 
shriek from the things and they begin to coalesce into a corporeal forms and begin slowly moving in towards you. Can I reach for him and try and pick him up? You can. Okay, I do that. Madri reaches down and jerks you from the prone position to standing. Your entire back feels cold, like you were laying on a sheet of thick ice for a very long period of time, even though you were only on your back for moments before Madri pulled you to an upright position. Madri, just tell me they missed the good wing. (laughs) I take a look at his damage real quick. It's pretty bad. Okay. It appears as though the claws have raked across the entirety of his back at an angle from shoulder to hip. Looks like they missed the wings. But you're not doing so great, bud. Madri's going to pick up Dash and put him on his shoulder and start running towards middle of the temple, I guess. Constantly droning still. Madri in deep prayer scoops Dash up, throws him on his back, and begins a run towards the center of the temple. The center of the temple has this massive disc of that blue and white stone. There is an inscription of several winding lines, circles, and other objects on it. It's hard to discern exactly what it is. The only reason that you can see it is because of the glow from the remaining spectral forms that are in the area. Does Dash feel cold to the touch? Would I notice that? Depends on where you're touching him. By the shirt, I guess. Probably not. What do the rest of you do? I call it to everyone. Go to the open area, back to back, form a circle. Hearing will guide the child to the circle, staying within five feet of her. Dash shivers. As you make your escape, Earring, you are attacked by three of those forms. Does a 17 hit? Yes. Take five points of damage. One of them reaches out in its corporeal form and strikes you on the leg, tearing at your britches. You feel an instant sense of coldness as you leap to the disc in the center of the temple. Longway? I'm going to yell back to Mokwey, hurry, my friend, hurry, and I'm going to stand guard between the nearest form and Mokwey to make sure he can at least get by me, unaccosted, at least by anything that's in front of me. I'm going to take the act of a shield for him. Five of the creatures materialize around you, blocking your path to the disc. Then I will swing at the first one that's in the way, just because I need to cut a hole. That's going to be a 19 and a 20. Both hit. 14 points. As you bring your blades down upon the creature standing directly in front of you, it dissipates into a wisp of smoke with a shriek once you strike. When you strike, you feel a solid form so you know your strikes were true. And then, as your blades pass through it, it disappears. The other four attack you. Seven, ten, and miss. Mokui? Mokui's gonna run and use his high and long jump to leap over them. How high is your high jump? I can jump as high as 15 feet and as long as 25 feet. And he has 10 feet to get before he gets to me, so you should have more enough room. Mokui, Much like Superman before he launches into the air, takes two steps, and then there is an explosion of activity, and Mokui's tiny frame is propelled into the night sky, well over the heads of these things blocking his passage. They grasp at him, but cannot take hold of him. You land comfortably on the disc. Your (laughs) companions are safely on the disc. I will turn to gauge another if necessary and spinning so I can put my back to my group and my front to any 
costers move the 10 or so feet I need necessarily need to move to get onto at least the high point of the disc. I will attack the one that I'm closest to. That's going to be a 17 and a nat 20. Both hit. 25 points of damage. And again, you strike the solid form of one of these creatures, and again, it bursts into a wisp of smoke. And then I'll back my way onto the, the disc and try to maintain a position to intercept anything that tries to approach our group. The creatures begin to move towards the center of the temple, and they surround it. Are we moving them onto the disc as well? You are not. They surround the disc, moaning, crying, shrieking, muttering something in a language you don't understand, but they do not set foot on the stone disc. The creatures have you surrounded, but none of them steps onto the disc. Though you have not yet moved to the center of the disc and are still relatively close to the edge, the creatures will reach towards those closest to them, unable to grab hold. They shriek in frustration and anger. I suggest we move to the center. Form that circle I suggested. Earring will guide the child to the center. Moku will also move to the center. Magic's going to help Dash to the center. Dash is going to look at the nearest one and just go, Wah! right back at it. <laughs> Dash, make me a constitution check. <laughs> no! At one. Wow. The ones are wild today. When ones go wild. Dash, you take five more points of damage, Earring. Will you roll me a constitution check? 21. Take two points. Dash once again visibly shivers. There is a coldness to your thigh in a patch about the size of your hand where the creature raked you. Dash, your entire back feels as though it is frozen and frostbitten. Watch out, guys. The damage lingers. I'm going to take out my jar of honey, uh, drink a little bit of it, put a little bit of it on my, uh, my thigh. You regain two points. How much of the jar has been used? About half. Does it have any effect on the coldness? No, none. Madri, seeing uh, Earring do this with his jar of honey, uh, passes his small jar of honey back to Dash and says, Would you like this? You look like you took some damage. Why, thank you. And Dash dips his fingers in and starts trying to reach around to the middle of his back and can't quite get there. Let me assist you. Thank you. Madri slathers honey on the back of... Dash. Badri applies the honey to your wound and you regain two points. Anybody watching Badri put this honey on Dash's back? I may have initially glanced, but I'm not watching. I'm watching the perimeter of Same here. The creatures. Same. If he sees anybody glance over while he's doing this, you see a look of fear, maybe adject terror while putting this uh, honey on Dash's back. Unfortunately, no one's going to see it because we already all said that we're not watching. <laughs> but thank you for a description that no one's seen. <laughs> he just has a look of, uh, oh, what's the child doing? You look over to the child, and she looks up to your face, and then she looks down, and then she looks up, and she looks down, and then looks up to you again. And you notice several claw marks down the front of her body, and then she blinks twice and oh. falls backwards. I am going to cast... Cure wounds on her. Seven points of healing. The the cure wounds spell has very little effect on the injury. I will feed her some of the honey and then slather the rest of the honey I have in the jar on her wounds. When you cast the cure wounds spell on her, it appears as though the the claw marks begin to close, but then they open again. You spread the honey on her, again they begin to close, and again they begin to open. A very different effect from your wound. 
where it did seem to close the wound slightly. She's injured. I will cast healing word on her for five points. Again, the wounds close ever so slightly, and again, they open up. Are they opening up shorter, or are they still the same size? They are opening shorter. I'll give you my jar of honey to say, use it on her, and I'm going to do one more healing word on her. I will. I'm going to go to one knee, still watching them sling my, swing my pack off, quickly pull out the honey, and roll it back to them. For seven more points. Provide the jar actually rolls. Again, they begin to close and then open. The wound seems to be healing, but it's taking a lot more than you would expect. And then I cast another spell. Thank I'm you. casting Moonbeam. I'm going to start with one, and just for the whole minute, and I'll work my way around the dais. A shaft of light opens from the sky. The clouds part, and you can see the warrior moon sitting high in the sky. A red shaft of energy beaming from it. Well, they'll either take 12 points of radiant damage, or they, well, they get to make a con save. I believe it's a con. Let me double check. Constitution save. DC thir- um, 13, I believe. How big is the moonbeam? I thought you were 15. 13. Okay. Uh, the moonbeam is 5 foot diameter, 5 foot radius. So it lasts for a minute. I have to do geometry? Yes. Well, I'm not going to have Ben help me. Let's well, do <laughs> <laughs> But I could go 120 feet out. Surprisingly, I can do radius. this math. So I'm, I'm wondering how many of, you proven that of the enemies, since they're so tightly right. packed, you'll get. Well, it's a five-foot radius, so if you center it on one, you'll catch anything within five feet either side of them. Okay. Yeah, so it just keeps ten-foot so diameter. Bright red moonbeam descends from the sky, strikes the ground, and spreads, enveloping three of the creatures, and again, they dissipate <gasps> into wisps with shrieks. And since I have it up for a minute, I'm just going to go around the whole circle. As far as I can go. Dash, con. I was saving this for my wing for later on, and he goes over to the child, uncorks the stopper, and dumps Mama's elixir down her throat. No! Can I have a con save, please, first? Oh, that one's a 24. That is a good con save. 19 plus 5. You take an additional one point of damage. Earring? 16. One point of damage. Madri, all the while, has been slathering as much of this honey he can out of this jar onto Dash's back, reassuring Dash that it's going to be okay. He'll be okay. So you're going to put the remainder of the jar on? Yeah, as much as I can. As soon as Madri says it's going to be okay, that's when it gets really cold. You regain three hit points, but now the jar is gone. Dash runs over and pours the snake oil, for lack of a better term, into Acorn's mouth. There is an overwhelming smell of alcohol. She almost looks like she begins to shrivel. Stop! Stop! (laughs) While this little circus is going on in the middle, I'm going to start patrolling around the group, just watching what's going on. If it looks like the moonbeam is clearing some of these things out, I'm going to watch the other side and kind of put myself a little diametrically opposed. I'm going to guess at the speed that it's moving and keep circling just to see if, if they try to make some attempt to get up onto the, the dais. But I'll put myself about basically halfway between the edge of it and the group and just keep circling. Not close enough where they can reach me, but I mean, you know, 10 feet away from them, 10 feet away from the group. I'm just taking up a, a defensive position. Mokui's moonbeam is working its way around the stone circle, disintegrating these things as it comes in contact with them. None of them have tried to step onto the circle. For a moment, the child shrivels and writhes a bit and then grows perfectly still. Her eyes are still open, but it's hard to tell if if she is conscious or not, since it doesn't appear as though she breathes. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. 
Dash starts shaking I'm going her. to take my water skin out and slowly feed her water. You begin to pour water in her mouth, and it appears as though it just stays there, forming a, a little pond of water in her mouth. Dash, con save, please. 16. Take three points of damage. Earring, con save, please. 14. Is take. it spreading, Scott? Yes, it appears to be. Take one point of damage, Earring. The cold is spreading across your back, onto your shoulders, and down to the top of your bottom. Earring, it appears to be spreading across your thigh. We need to figure out what we need to do here and then get out of here. As the moonbeam is destroying the ones around the dais, are there others coming in from the side to replace them? Or is it just deeper than the representation we have on the table? It is. It's quite deep. They seem to be collecting outside the circle. The moonbeam, although satisfying, is doing very little. Okay. Save your strength. Yep. Should we make a fire here? Uh, with what? We didn't carry firewood. There's no brush here. I have no magical means to do so. I got unless, six unless very we large burn black our, candles. Unless we want to burn our closing gear. I have six very large black candles. Uh, that were used in a dark evil ritual. dark ritual. I think that would probably be a bad idea. But I uh, appreciate it, but I don't think that's going to be a good idea. I pull out my quarterstaff and start breaking it. Okay. Oh, I've got that big old club strapped to my back. Uh, we can break that up too. I'll take my battle axe and start breaking the quarterstaff and that club. Madri pulls out his tinderbox and makes a fire. I pull out a torch, get that lit. I'm sure I have a couple torches in my pack as well. I'll add those to the pile. How are um, Dash and Earring looking health-wise? I know this is kind of numbers-wise. How are y'all looking? (laughs) (laughs) Just just go visual-wise. Yeah, Yeah, visual-wise. How long did heroism last, by the way? It's over with. It only lasts for like a minute. Okay. I'm only down about a quarter. Okay. I'm still looking fine. Uh, Dash's back does not look great kind of spin you around a little bit and show the rest of the party, but your wings are not looking great. Dash continues the spin, trying to look over his shoulder and see his back. I will use my last healing word on Dash's back. Seven points. You take three points, or regain three points. Madre, if you need more firewood, and I'm going to throw you my bow quiver, use whatever you can find in there. I still have the corals. You know my quiver holds more than it looks like. Sounds good. As you begin to build a fire, the creatures shrink back, giving some space between the edge of the circle, now perhaps 20 feet, just outside the flickering light of the fire. They'll stay there for the remainder of the evening until the sun comes up. Feed the fire slowly. In the quiver, you're going to find half a dozen javelins, half a dozen spears, and about 80 arrows. Save me 10 arrows. Do. Looking at the spirits as they shrink back from the fire, we should save some torches. I was thinking putting the torches around the outside of the ring. I was thinking we should save the torches when, we, if we have to travel so that way, if they stay away from the fire, we can use them to keep them at bay. I like that too. And I still have a couple in my bag. How is the child looking? She's remained totally motionless. And there's no way of telling if she's alive or not. No. Your instinct is to feel for a pulse, but... You don't feel one, but you're not certain she has one. And how are the wounds looking? The wounds have remained stable. If you were to place your hand upon the wound, it is still cold. Once the fire is lit, I'm going to sit with my thigh facing the fire, and I'm going to bring her close to the fire, turning her so that her abdomen is exposed to the fire, the heat, exposed to the heat of the fire. So it appears as though you're safe for now. Even though two of your party, three of your party are wounded, one maybe two worse than the other. 
I'm going to continue my patrol. The sun begins to peek over the horizon. The corporeal forms of these creatures begin to swirl into misty spectral shapes and then into glowing orbs, and then they dissipate, gone. You've survived the night, but a few of your party are in pretty rough shape. Dash, you are feeling extremely ill. Your entire body is shivering and cold. It's as though you are out in the middle of the coldest day of the winter, but it is something more than just coldness. It is as though death is reaching out for you and there is a struggle between your mortal form and death itself. Earring, you are experiencing something very similar to that, though much more severe. Hypothermic. Earring is looking very poorly. He has strange black almost veiny-like tendrils reaching up his neck along his jawline. Dash, his back is covered with these veiny, web-like black strands. Can Earring speak? Yes. Earring will cast cure wounds on himself. Now, how does healer's kits work? For this? Yeah, well, just in general. Yeah, and especially because I'm going to try to use them, use the healer's kits. Well, you can, you can certainly try. Earring healed himself for seven points of damage. So that would be three. I'll be going to earring first. Roll my medicine. 23. You you don't know really how to approach this, but you are familiar with the herbs in your pack. While it doesn't appear as though you have caused any healing to earring, he does appear in less discomfort. The shivering and shaking of his body begins to subside just slightly. You don't feel as cold, but... You certainly don't feel well. How does my proximity to the fire affect the feeling? It doesn't seem to have any effect. After I do that with him, I'm going to move to Dash and do the same thing. That'll be a dirty 20. Dash is very unwell. The twin sets of claw marks across his back seem to have caused whatever it was to spread even more than on earring. When you administer the healing from the healing kit, he seems to calm a bit. You're unsure if there was any actual healing that was done to the use of your herbs and tinctures was very similar to that of earrings. Then I will move on to the child. The child remains there motionless. Eight. You're not too sure what to do for Acorn. There are no black tendrils running up her skin like there are on Dash and Earring. On this platform that we're on, does it dip in a little bit at any points? No. The temple. Are there any holes in the roof allowing sunlight in? There is no roof. There is no roof. There is no roof. Where is the light concentrated strongest? The sun appears to be coming from the east. The east. (laughs) It's striking the temple fairly evenly. There's some long shadows as the sun comes up, but there's a lot of vegetation in this area. It's getting more than adequate sunlight. Yeah, I'm going to look for a nice sunny spot that maybe a cat would go to and place the child in that spot. She is stiff as a board. It's very easy to drag her there. Is that a pun? (laughs) (laughs) And you place her in the sunlight. And I will just lay down next to her because I don't have a lot of strength right now. I'm going to walk up to Mokwe and put a hand on his shoulder. Uh, Thank you for attempting to ease their passing. And then go about my patrol. Although I'm going to step off the dais gingerly, 
and see. I don't expect anything to attack, but I'm, I'm going to wait, but I'm going to start circling the, the days once again to keep up my vigil. Madri wants to start inspecting this dais, taking a look at the grooves on the floor, examining it, seeing what it looks like. He also thinks that someone should go or a group of people should go grab our stuff, our uh, tents and things, and bring it here, but he wants to make sure that he studies this first. This is his main priority, studying the dais and figuring out what it is. How wide of a patrol are you doing? I'm staying inside the temple, but I will go to the breaks in the walls and look outward, you know, examine the area for a bit, see if there's any movement, then move to the next opening, 20 feet maybe at the most. I'm going to do what I can to look around and see if I can catch movement of anyone or anything. At one point in time, you see a flash of white amongst the ruined buildings and trees. It looks like it's walking on all fours, and then you lose it. As the morning wears on, you notice a woman walking up the mound. She is clad all in white leathers. There is a noticeable blood stain on her left hip, and she walks with a slight limp. I think I know who this is, and I'm going to walk toward her. I'll stop 20 feet away and bow deeply. My lady spirit, if there's any boon that you could possibly see fit to pass on to our group, I would greatly appreciate it and pay any cost. I have those that are on death's door. She laughs, almost a giggle, and nods to you and says, I am no spirit. And that's where we'll leave it this week. Join us next time as the adventure continues on An Acorn's Journey. A DMD story. Thank you to our cast, Frank Whedon, Ben Petrie, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Sin Morse, and your DM, Scott. A special thanks to you, our listeners. You are why we do this every week. We'll see you next time in the dojo.